welcome to Beef and Forage Roundup with host Chantal McRae. This podcast is a production of Manitoba Beef and Forage Initiatives, created to share information with farmers, producers, and agriculture enthusiasts to showcase the important work that is happening at MBFI. Our podcasts drop on the first and third Wednesday each month. We will be sharing information through interviews with General Manager Mary Jane Orr, project leads for various projects, MBFI team members, speakers from our extension events, industry leaders, and industry suppliers. This podcast will dig deep into on-farm research and field testing practices related to beef cattle and forage production and efficiency and sustainability of practice in the agricultural industry in Manitoba. We will be sharing information on upcoming training and workshops, field and farm demonstration tours, education materials and events at MBFI, as well as producer profiles from around the province, and information on their own trials, challenges, innovation, and results. We encourage you to browse our social media accounts and website for links to more information on projects, upcoming events, and important deadlines. Information on our social accounts and website can be found following the show and in the show notes. As always, we encourage you to email us if you have feedback, questions, or topic suggestions for the show at information at mbfi.ca. Cheddar is an agriculture junkie with passion for risk management, soil health, regenerative agriculture, and fitness. Building resilience in food production, in business, and in personal development are the conversation he wants to have. For Stuart, diversity is the key to building soil health and to building his community. He is a 38-year-old farmer on a first-generation farm near Killali, Saskatchewan. Inspired by his farm customers while working in agriculture banking, He began his farm career 12 years ago. Currently, the farm operates in forage production, both for grazing and forage seed. Most on-farm production practices are driven by the five foundations of building healthy soil, keeping the soil covered, minimizing disturbance, plant diversity, keeping a living root long in the season, and integrating livestock. Stewart also works as a policy analyst with Alberta Financial Services Corporation, for the business risk management suite of products and services for Alberta agriculture. Alberta Financial Services Corporation's vision is to build a strong, growing, and diversified agriculture and agri-food sector in Alberta, and soil health and farmer resilience are fundamental to that strength. Welcome to the podcast today, Stuart. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. You're very welcome. We are going to be talking today about the relationship between soil organic matter and crop production risks. Before we dig into that, can you share a little bit about your history and background, especially as it relates to agriculture? Yeah, for sure. Thank you. My name is Stuart Chutter. I work for AFSC, which is Alberta's crown corporation that administers business risk management programs and lending programs for agriculture in Alberta. So programs like agri-insurance, crop insurance, we know it as, agri-stability, agri-invest, and also a suite of lending programs. So it would be, for your audience, that would be kind of the Alberta equivalent of MASC. My role there is as a policy analyst. So looking at the programming and the services that we offer and what they'll look like in the future and what the needs and tools that industry needs to manage its risks in production are 
for Alberta agriculture. So that's my kind of career descriptor. Personally, I describe myself as a, a regenerative farmer, a ultra marathon runner, a Spartan obstacle course racing athlete, a diversity advocate, and I'm a I'm a foodie who loves local farm direct food. So those will be the things I want to talk about outside of work. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. I didn't have any questions in here about your farm operation, but do you want to share a little bit about your operation? For sure. Yeah. I grew up on a beef cattle ranch out in British Columbia. So my family has a commercial cow-calf ranch near Merritt, which is in the interior of BC. And about 10 years ago, I moved to Saskatchewan and started building my own farm. So I have a small farm just south of Melville in Saskatchewan where I raise a herd of beef cattle and have converted all the land over to perennial grass cover and operate what I would describe as a regenerative farm. The five principles of soil health really guide the decision-making on my farm. For me personally, when I bought my farm, I was very ignorant or naive of soil, or I just didn't have concepts of what's healthy soil meant, what was needed, and how much of an influence it had on profitability, resilience, resilience in drought. I grew up as a 4-H kid. I loved my cows. I was passionate about showing my limousine heifer calves every year. So when I started my own farm, I was very much focused on livestock and livestock management. And because of that, I didn't know realistically when I bought my farm, how poor the soil was. And so over the last five years, especially, I've really transitioned my mentality of looking after cows to looking after grass to now looking after soil. I think a lot of regenerative farmers go through that kind of mental paradigm shift of where focusing their effort influences everything else in production and where those focused efforts have the best results. And for me, it's, it's now really a deep understanding that healthy livestock are that way with healthy grass that is that way with a focus on soil health. And I think even too, I, I, especially with my running and obstacle course racing goals outside of farming, that's definitely more and more also overflowing into personal health and, you know, the, that soil feeding the grass, feeding the cows that fuel me to, to go run some crazy long distances. That's a really cool transition. And I grew up as a 4-H kid too. We had purebred Charlay and okay. also showed Charlays and we showed uh, horses growing up. And it wasn't until my husband and I got together that I really heard a bunch about regenerative practices. I feel like that is a very typical kind of cycle, right? Like you're in the that show world, very focused on your livestock, but then it turns into, like you said, being focused on grass management and then being focused on the soil that's beneath it. It's, it's a pretty cool transition when you think about it. It really is. For me, the the world of soil, like it's, it's just been such a journey. And so many of the lessons are 
applicable in so many ways of life. I mean, it, the principles of soil health are principles of optimizing life. And I think that's even why, you know, it's, it's easy for that to be extrapolated into healthy grass and then healthy cows. But I think for me, it even goes beyond that into healthy people and optimizing life in the soil. Some of those principles are pretty similar to optimizing life in general and living fully and intentionally. And I know that's not why you invited me on the podcast and that's a whole different rabbit hole, but it's definitely principles that guide me beyond just, just my soil. Well, that's perfect. And I, I appreciate that you shared that because it might not be exactly the topic that we're talking about today, but it's important for our listeners to know kind of who you are and what your values are. And I think there's a lot of our listeners that would share very similar similar values as you. So, so that's great. Getting back, I guess, to our topic for the day, you are the Senior Policy Analyst for Agriculture Financial Services Corporation in Lacombe, Alberta. Can you tell me a bit about the organization, your duties, and your goals in this position? Yeah, so like I briefly said at the introduction, I work in policy at AFSC. What I do is is looking at the business risk management programs in Alberta and how they're delivered and what the future of them could look like. AFSC, their purpose is to grow a strong and resilient agriculture and agribusiness industry in Alberta. And so the programs that we offer are to fill that objective and specifically in the BRM programming, the risk management programming, it's ensuring that the tools available to farmers and ranchers to manage their risk, financial risk and production risk and, you know, the, all the huge risks that go into operating a successful farm that we're best able to deliver and offer programs and services that provide tools to manage or mitigate risk. And recently, AFSC has started a conversation about the impact soil organic matter has on crop yields and how this could be used in the future to potentially calculate crop insurance premiums. Can you share how this connection was made and the process to evaluate the relationship was started? Yeah, for sure. Like how you just described it, I would say is just a very small part of that story. The initial research that we've that we're looking at now is the objective was less about soil health or or any specific practice, but it was more a bigger picture look at can we better understand individualized practices that are happening on farms so that we can develop the methodology of how to better price risk individually for a farmer. And what I'm, what I'm trying, that's confusing. What I'm trying to say is, is right now in crop insurance, at least in Alberta, the premium that you'll pay on your crop insurance is based on your individual history, but it's based on history over time. So if you make a change to your production practices on your farm this year that significantly reduces your risk, that will not be captured in your premium until it over time that practice is fully captured 
in a premium, which is 10 years or beyond. So when we look at crop insurance premium from a policy perspective, practices that reduce risk are not being priced in real time as farmers implement them. And from a risk management tool or financial instrument tool perspective, the more precise we can price risk, then the more appropriately farmers and ranchers can use them to manage their risk. When your individual risk is priced correct for your actual individual risk profile, then your, your decision-making around using that financial risk management tool can be more accurate and effective and efficient. But when there are discrepancies between pricing and actual risk, then the ability to make the best decisions have some element of, you know, muddiness or, or whatever the right word is in there for that. So, and, and a part of that's just reality to know someone's exact risk is very, very difficult. So it's figuring out how do we best price risk with the knowledge that we have. So the, the research that we've been looking into is what are key practices that are happening on farms in Alberta and which of those are having a significant effect on risk? And is there a way to measure those or know those risk, the effect that those practices have on risk so that it can be priced in real time? So for example, if a farmer went, was operating a full-till farm and this year transitioned to no-till farming, could we price their new no-till practices right into a premium in real time versus having that um, producer have to pay premium that scaled over time as they develop more crop insurance history with the objective being that then risk is priced more appropriately and that farmer can make better risk management decisions with their crop insurance planning. So that's kind of the long-winded explanation of what we were what we're looking at and it's very early analysis, it's very early discussion. So from there, we went and looked at what are those practices and what would be the criteria of a practice that would make it something that could be internalized into a premium methodology. And from there, we came up with a short list of about seven practices that we see in Alberta that deserve some element of analysis of risk reduction and risk reduction pricing. And those were diverse crop rotations, reduced tillage, soil organic matter, early seeding dates, especially in wheat and especially in the southern areas of Alberta, drought resistant varieties, early maturing crop varieties, as well as the use of grain dryers on farm. So those were practices we're seeing on farm that farmers are implementing from a risk reducing basis. And our objective in this analysis was not about influencing farm decisions. So this is not a 
discussion about best management practices or influencing practices or environmental goals. From our perspective as a crop insurance administrator, it was strictly what is reducing risk and what practices are making farmers more resilient on those farms. So those were the seven that we initially evaluated. And we were talking a little bit before we started recording about kind of the beginning of this conversation and how it started for you. Do you want to share a little bit about that in the recording as well? Yeah, for sure. We were we were chatting about the Manitoba Forage and Grasslands Association and their regenerative agriculture conference that they put on annually. And that's where the I guess that's not where this project began because the project had already been initiated, but that's where Two years ago, I met Kim Cornish from Food Water Wellness, and she was presenting at that conference, and she presented her analysis of ground-truthing soil organic carbon at the field level for the entire province of Alberta. And listening to her presentation there, that was just mind-blowing to me because that's the first time that I've heard of that being done anywhere in Canada and Alberta's lucky that we have that data now to work with so that we can do analysis like this to have field level soil organic carbon levels gives us a tool to now evaluate risk so we could measure that without her research we wouldn't have that field level analysis across the province to compare yields and indemnities to, to do this sort of analysis. So I love that conference regardless. There's so many great people there, great speakers there. It's such a wonderful conference for sharing uh, information, knowledge, practices, and just meeting people as they're going down their regenerative journeys or changes on their farm. So it's such a great conference irrespective, but in terms of analyzing risk and the goals of this project, that was such a valuable, a valuable thing to make that connection with Kim so that we could add soil organic matter as one of our on-farm metrics that we're measuring crop yield and indemnities against. Can you tell me a little bit about the relationship between risk-reducing production practices, which you've already mentioned, soil properties, and the probability of needing to make a claim for crop losses under drought conditions? Yeah, and that's where, for me, this conversation gets, gets really, really interesting, and I get really excited and passionate about it. It is very early analysis. There's still a lot to be done. So um, this is just preliminary analysis that says to me, hey, dive in deeper here, but we definitely need to dive in a lot deeper before there's any actual action or or next steps taken from it. But uh, from our initial analysis, soil organic carbon at the field level was what looked to be quite significantly the most influential risk-reducing metric you can focus on your farm of what we evaluated. Why is soil organic carbon 
something we'd look at from a crop insurance perspective. If we look at data from the USDA, they tell us that for every 1% increase in soil organic matter, an acre of land can hold about 25,000 gallons more of water in the soil. And that's about the equivalent of one inch of rainfall. So if you increase your soil organic matter by 1%, we can expect it to be able to hold an extra inch of rain. And that's significant, not only from holding an inch of rain for a plant over a growing season, but every time that water cycles throughout the growing season, meaning it rains and then the soil moisture gets used up or evaporated or used by the plant, as the soil moisture decreases and another rainfall event happens, that extra water holding capacity is there again. So that extra one inch of water holding capacity in the soil could result in several inches over the course of a growing season. So for us at AFSC in Alberta, about 57% of the crop insurance payouts that we've paid out over the last 20 years have been because of drought. So if there's a metric that is measured and changing that influences the soil's ability to hold water and be more resilient for crop production during a drought, that is something very interesting to crop insurance. So what we did to look at soil organic matter, or specifically we, we use soil organic carbon as the metric, is we took all the fields growing a similar crop within our risk area, and either those fields were above average for soil organic carbon or below average for soil organic carbon. So our initial analysis was either, either above average or below average. And if we looked at a risk area, for example, in central Alberta in 2021, so a severe drought year in central Alberta on fields that were growing barley, the fields that were above average for soil organic carbon yielded about 12 bushels per acre more than the fields that were below average for soil organic carbon. And this was a significant drought year. So the, if we look at what we paid out in crop insurance indemnities, we paid out approximately $33 more per acre to below average soil organic carbon fields compared to those fields that were above average. So starting to be some numbers that are meaningful and statistically significant. If we look at that same risk area for canola, it showed a similar relationship. The above average soil organic carbon fields produced about eight bushels per acre more in canola compared to the fields that were below average. And we paid out about $57 more per acre to below average soil organic carbon fields. Now that risk area is a pretty what we'd call high quality soil zone, but also with high variability in soil organic carbon. So 
the variability that we see in yields and crop insurance indemnities is higher in that risk area. If we go down to the south in our much drier area of Alberta, there's still changes in soil organic matter, but to a much lower degree, because generally it's much lower soil organic matter across the board in that risk area. But the relationship still held true in barley in a southern Alberta risk area above average soil organic carbon fields yielded over a bushel per acre more and we paid out about three dollars more per acre on below average soil organic carbon fields and the same relationship on canola where just under a bushel per acre more was produced across the risk area on above average soil organic carbon field and we paid out just over ten dollars an acre more to lower than average soil organic carbon fields. Initial analysis that shows there, there's something here, or at least to me speaks that there's something here to look at, something here to dive in deeper, where there is a material effect on production and crop insurance when we look at soil parameters. That's really interesting. And I'm glad that you had some specific numbers to say kind of here's the relationship and here's the numbers that show exactly what we were seeing over that year. Looking at numbers from crop insurance and production, we did have a look at, okay, what else is happening in the world? This is Alberta. Are, is this a one-off thing? Is this just what we're seeing in a drought year? Is anyone else evaluating this? And there isn't, it probably goes back to the fact that just thankfully, Kim had done this province-wide soil organic carbon mapping that made this sort of analysis doable because around the world, in other provinces so far, this isn't analysis that's being looked at. The closest thing I could find was down in the States in 2021, a researcher compared corn yields to soil organic matter but they used the county average for soil organic matter instead of field level data. So it wasn't totally precise, but even with just county averages of soil organic matter, their summary was a 1% increase in soil organic matter was associated with a 32 bushel per acre yield increase for corn and a 36% reduction in the average crop insurance liabilities paid out for that entire U.S. corn growing region. So that is being looked at elsewhere, but a lot more analysis is needed as well. That makes sense. And you might have already answered this question in your last answer, but I'm going to ask it. And then if there's anything you want to add, that's great. A study by Ag Financial Services Corp found that farms with higher than average soil organic matter have better yield than farms with lower than average soil organic matter, like you said, in comparable risk and soil type zones. Do you have any other information on how this was researched and what additional findings were observed between soil properties, crop yields, and the risk of needing to make an insurance claim? No, at this point, the analysis is very initial. 
There is a lot more deeper analysis to do, wider spread across wider geography, um, looking at more crop types beyond canola and barley. So there's a lot more to dive into here and a long ways from any sort of adequate support to to have it internalized into a crop insurance product, but worth sharing with industry because the initial analysis is potentially meaningful and significant. And also because even if it's not, you know, going back to the original goal of the research is it is about better financial tools for risk management. So regardless of what the correlation or the significance of soil organic carbon is to risk, hopefully the bigger picture learning is how to internalize individual farm metrics or individual farm production practices to individual risk pricing. So both analysis more into the actual effect of a certain practice on risk, but also what does that process look like so that if it's accurate and developed for one practice, is it replicable for use beyond just one practice so that farms are most appropriately priced to their risk? So, so far were canola and barley, the only two crops that you've done that analysis on? Yes. So far it's limited crop and limited geography. So next steps would be further analysis of a much larger scale and finding out too, like, are there limitations? Are there areas where this relationship holds true? Are there areas where it doesn't, or, or perhaps it's not areas you know, we had, this analysis was during a, a severe drought. So in a more average year, you know, whatever that is nowadays, but <laughs> uh, if there's a year without significant stress, what does that look like? So more analysis over time as well. And that leads really well into my next question, which is kind of how big of a data set do you feel is needed to find these relationships? And would you expect to see similar findings in different regions? Yeah. And again, going back to Kim's research and data set of soil organic carbon at the field level across the whole province, that's when we start to get data sets that are meaningful and usable for programming or policy. Granted, this is just recent, so we only have one year of that data set. And going forward, this is something that can continue to be analyzed so that over time, both the data quantity is more available, but also the data is telling a story of what's happening in different years with different production environments or challenges. And then your, your second question about are there other geographies where I'd expect to see this? I mean the water holding capacity of higher organic matter soil, if that relationship holds true everywhere, then yeah, there, there should be drought resilience and crop production resilience with improvements to soil organic matter in wider geographies. But that's something to look at those numbers and look at those facts and, and verify 
whether that's in other provinces or looking at research like the initial one coming out of the states that I mentioned earlier, you know, similar to no-till adoption where Saskatchewan, Manitoba and Alberta were such pioneers and leaders in that transition. So we're probably going to see this sort of analysis and thinking in the Canadian prairies as, as leaders. Uh, and that's why I'm so grateful for Kim's work is she makes that analysis available and achievable. Hopefully there is a wider geographic zone that can then do that sort of research and analysis. Because we're talking about all of this kind of in perspective with the soil's water holding capacity, do you think that the same relationships would hold true in a year of excess moisture? Yeah, I mean, it makes logical sense in terms of soil's ability to absorb water means as spring runoff occurs, it's going into the ground as opposed to pooling in low spots and resulting in unseeded acreage. Uh, I think that's an interesting discussion to have too, is, is not just from a crop yield and indemnity perspective, but also an unseeded acreage perspective. Also just the ability as soil takes in more of that spring runoff what effect does that have on better management in terms of ability to get out in the field at the right time or the best time, as opposed to waiting on water cycle limitations. So it, it makes sense. That wasn't a part of this analysis. So there's nothing I can present or, or share that confirms or doesn't confirm that. But yeah, that's, that's the kind of questions and thinking that I think this sort of analysis starts asking is how much of an effect it really does have. What sorts of discussions or what further discussions are you hoping to start or have with this work? I think at this point, the objective is just to share data and share the analysis that we've done to let those conversations happen. What they are and where they go, that's I'm not certain, but I think the conversations I'd love to have with industry is just their honest feedback and initial thoughts. Like I said, there's still a lot more analysis that would need to be done. This is just preliminary findings that suggest that there's something here to look at and something to kind of scratch. So before making those decisions on where to go with next steps and, and focus, that's the kind of conversations is, yeah, where, where do we take this? What, what could this mean? What does this mean? What benefit could this serve to industry? You know, even going back to your question about unseeded acreage and excess moisture in spring, what, what significance could this have on that? And should we include that in deeper analysis? And that leads really well into my next question, which is, what other research needs to be done and what other factors need to be considered before this could be implemented or before this is even a thought to be something that's used in those calculations? I think there's two kind of a two-part answer to that question. More research in terms of, like we talked about, wider geographical area, more crops, 
more time frame, different years that show us the relationship with different growing conditions. So a lot more analysis on the actual production practice or farm metric, whether that's a soil metric or, or anything else, a lot more data set and analysis on that. But then also the, the mechanism of internalizing that into crop insurance. How is that most appropriately done as a premium methodology calculation or from a policy perspective? You know, we're just evaluating things from a risk reducing profile, but how you implement that into a cost structure could have policy and practice ramifications beyond just risk. And is that a good thing or not? We've been talking a lot about soil organic matter. How does this relate to ongoing conversations around soil health, carbon sequestration, and GHG emissions in agriculture? Yeah, all of those words that you just mentioned, those are big discussion items, social issues, something to analyze from a policy perspective beyond just risk. So this analysis is just looking at the risk-reducing capability of soil organic carbon, not the other social goods or policy perspective outside of risk. So that's a whole nother discussion, a whole nother element of analysis when it comes to setting policy around that. What fascinates me about soil organic carbon and what this initial analysis tells us is that those social conversations align with farm practices and reduce risk. It's, it seems like a very unique and perhaps powerful tool to align soil health from a risk reducing capability with those social goals and other aspects of farm policy that you talked about. That's when the conversation could get really cool. And it just seems like it's a tip of a huge iceberg. There's a lot that could come out of just having that conversation. I think so. And I think that's why I want to have those conversations with industry and try and get a gauge on that of where there is potential, you know, going back to your question at the start, what is AFSC? Where do I work? You know, are purpose is to build a strong and resilient agriculture industry in Alberta. And is this a tool to champion that? Is this analysis of soil organic matter showing that that is potentially a big part of a strong and resilient industry? Would it be fair to say that improving the soil health through increased soil organic matter could pay for itself? Yeah, at this point in the analysis, there is nothing that would provide an answer to that. There was no financial analysis done yet. This is strictly looking at the risk reducing capability of a practice, but not how much is that, what significance is that, how would a, a cost structure change? So yeah, there's no answer to that. That would be a part of further analysis. I would leave it with that thought that this is just initial analysis. There's a lot more to be done and it is not a proposal or 
a program change or or anything in the works. It is initial research that is fascinating to me and I, I think to to a lot of people. I would agree. I think it's it's very interesting. Is there anything else that you want to share about the topic or anything that you think we've left out of today's conversation that is important for listeners to know? I mean, I guess I'd, I'd probably wrap this up with a, a kind of a shameless plug for crop insurance administrators or, or business risk management in Canada. Diving into research like this, it really has opened my eyes to how lucky we are in Canadian agriculture to have such good risk management tools available to us as we look to compare around the world and and learn from other jurisdictions or other nations. I am shocked to find the support for risk management of agriculture in so many other parts of the world, just so lacking and not there. And, and I, I think it's, it, to me, just, it's really opened my eyes that as Canadian producers, yes, we need to improve our risk management programs. Yes, there's changes to be made. And yes, we need to, to always be improving for better, but also an element of gratefulness that uh, we do have some pretty good tools for our agriculture industry. That's a really good way to, to end off. You had shared two very interesting articles with me that I used in preparation for the episode, and I wanted to mention those, and I'll also link them both in the show notes. So the first one was titled, Should Soil Organic Matter Be a Factor in Insurance Premiums? And that was from the Alberta Farmer Express. And the second one is, What's the Relationship Between Soil Organic Matter and Crop Insurance? And that one was by Grain News. So like I said, I will link both of those into the show notes. Are there any funders or supporters that assisted you um, with this project that you would like to acknowledge for their assistance before we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, again, going back to Kim Cornish at Food Water Wellness, I think she is such a star for Alberta agriculture, a champion for regenerative agriculture. The soil organic matter portion of the of this analysis would not have been possible without her research and her willingness to share her research so freely. I'm so thankful for the work that she does and I'm looking forward to her work that she's doing through the Living Labs. She's just such a great contributor to, to agriculture in Canada. Perfect. Thank you. And do you want to share contact information? Yeah, no, I definitely like that. Email would be best. I'm at schutter at afsc.ca. Well, I think that's all that I had for today. So just thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me and sharing all of this information. It's it's pretty exciting for agriculture that this is even being talked about, I think, and kind of where it can go from here is exciting. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure to chat with you. And, and again, I, I know you're from Manitoba, so I'd give a shout out to the Manitoba Forage and Grasslands Association and the conference that they hold annually. That's where I got connected with you. That's where I got connected with Kim Cornish. So there is great 
relationships and connections being made at their conference. So I'm, I'm grateful to them as well. Wonderful. Thank you. We wanted to let listeners know that this episode was prepared and recorded in January of 2023, as I'm taking a short leave from MBFI. Because of this, some of the conversations may seem like they are relating to past information or slightly out of context with the current time. We will resume regular recordings in the summer of 2023. Thank you for your patience. The research programs and daily operations at MBFI would not be possible without funding from the province of Manitoba, Government of Canada, and Canadian Agricultural Partnership, as well as partnership with Manitoba Agriculture, Manitoba Beef Producers, Ducks Unlimited Canada, and the Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beef and Forage Roundup. For more information on the on-farm projects or upcoming extension events, please visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at mbbeefandforage. For full project reports and more information about MBFI, please visit our website, mbfi.ca. If you have feedback on the show, questions about content, are interested in becoming a project supporter, or want to submit a proposal for a research project topic, please email information at mbfi.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an upcoming episode. We've got lots to share.